0: Uh, I hope your week has gone a little bit better than ours. Um, some of you may have seen on Facebook my wife uh, tested positive for COVID just a couple days ago and uh, is, you know, not not super terrible, but just not feeling great. You know, just kind of a bad head cold. But also, uh, so pray for her, but also pray for uh, Darren and Kim. Um, they've also come down with COVID. So it was kind of a mad scramble because I had messaged out to the elders, like, hey, my wife tested positive. Just in case something happens to me, can one of you be a backup? And Darren's like, sure, send me your stuff, and we'll get it taken care of. And then he messaged me yesterday, hey, <laughs> bad news. Uh, so I was like, well, if, maybe if I test positive or something, I can come in and record my sermon here in the empty auditorium. and We can just play it. Thankfully, that didn't have to happen. The boys and I are feeling fine. Uh, Caitlin's kind of isolating, just Keep us in your prayers, keep the Chastain's in your prayers, and uh, all the other people who are sick right now, it's going around, I tell you. But I'm glad you're here with us today, I love seeing all the sweaters, yes, Star Wars for me, of course. Um, Gotta love it. And so today we're talking about God is with us in our new family. Last week was kind of a heavy sermon, last week was kind of a heavy sermon topic for us, that he is with us in our loneliness, and we talked about how Elijah went through that kind of dark night of the soul, feeling like he was alone, withdrawing into himself, running away from his problems, and basically crying out to God, like, I'm the only one left, and how damaging loneliness can be for us, but God even meets us in our loneliness. Today is a little bit happier, I hope, (laughs) all right? God is with us in our new family. I hope and pray that the holidays, while they may be hard for some of us, I hope they also bring you joy and connection that you get to share with your friends and family. Maybe that you don't get to see that often. Um, And thanks to technology, sometimes even if you can't be with them in person, you can call them up on FaceTime or Zoom and have that kind of face-to-face chat going on. But regardless of the situation, I hope that you are able to spend time with family. And if not blood relatives, maybe our new family. Let's talk about that today. Um, a couple of verses that really stood out to me in the Psalms. Psalm 68 says, God is in his holy dwelling, a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. He provides homes For those who are deserted, he leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious lived in a scorched land. God is with those who don't have a family. He gives us a new family. God is a father to the fatherless. And I love this passage uh, that Tyson read for us at the beginning Psalm 113, especially there right at the end. Let's listen to this. Who is a God like our God? The one enthroned on high who stoops down to look uh, on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up the needy from the trash heap in order to seat them with nobles, with the nobles of his people. And I love this part. He gives the childless woman a household, making her the joyful mother of children. Hallelujah. You know, I look around, and uh, in church, my experience has always been that you have not just a bunch of acquaintances, but if you really get to know each other, you have a lot of kind of adoptive grandparents as well to take care of you, to watch over you, to be kind of your, your cheering section at the ball games, whatever it may be. That's what we're talking about today, this new community, the new family of God that we have through Christ Jesus. I want to start out. Um, anybody read Latin in here? No, no takers? Okay, so I could just make up whatever this means. Cool. Uh, but no, <laughs> one of the early church father, fathers, Tertullian, said, Unus Christianus, Nullus Christianus. And you're like, that sounds like an evil spell. No. What it means is that one Christian is no Christian. Or another way of saying it is, an isolated Christian or a solo Christian is no Christian. What he means by that is that Christianity was never meant to be a solo mission. Jesus never calls anybody on their own. If you go through the Gospels, you'll notice (laughs) that every time he calls somebody, he calls them into community. And anytime he sends them out, he sends them out in at least in pairs. He sent his apostles out in pairs to go out into the mission field there in Israel all throughout the acts of the apostles you see people doing ministry together you read through Paul's letters and it's not just Paul he says Timothy or Silas send their greetings too and then he lists all these people to say hey to like it's never a solo thing you're never on your own God never calls you to be alone. In fact, God even says the exact opposite right at the beginning of our scriptures, that it is not good for the man to be alone. Now this context we often think of uh, maybe in marriage because that's when he created Adam, but then there was no one suitable for him. So he created Eve and you know, we have the basis for covenantal marriage. But I think this applies big picture too. It's not good for us to be alone. We are social creatures. We are created in the image of God, and by doing so, God creates out of his own divine community, Father, Son, Spirit, let us make man in our image, this divine community of love out of which God creates humans to be like him to partner with him in ruling over creation. But it was never meant to be a solo gig. We need each other. Elijah needed someone in his life. And so God brought someone into his life. He, he sent him on a mission in First Kings 19. So if you're following along in your Bibles or your Bible apps, that's where we're gonna look. We're gonna finish out kind of the story of Elijah today. Um, In 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 19, it says, Elijah left there. In other words, he, he left the mountain, this cave that he had holed up in, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, as the story says. And he goes all the way back to where he came from. And he found Elisha as he was plowing. He's out doing farm work, <laughs> and he gets interrupted. Uh, Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him, and he was with the twelfth team. So I guess uh, he's out there working with a bunch of other people. And Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle over him. And in, in other words, he had this kind of cloak, shawl type deal, and he wrapped it around his shoulders and said, hey, come with me. All right. So verse 20. Elisha left the oxen and ran to follow Elijah and said, please, uh, let me kiss my mother and father and then I'll come back and follow you. Go back, Elijah replied, for what have I done to you? Like, okay, do what you need to do, it's fine. Verse 21, though, I love this response from Elisha. So Elisha turned back from following him, took the team of oxen, And slaughtered them. And with the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate, and then he left, followed Elijah, and served him. Do you notice what happened there? He didn't just go say goodbye. He killed the oxen and burned the plows and threw a goodbye barbecue for everyone in town. All right, he's like, this is it. There is no going back. You know, when Jesus calls, for instance, James and John, as they're out uh, tending their nets as, as fishermen, do you notice they didn't actually, like, set the boats ablaze? <laughs> they didn't, like, rip up their nets and be like, that's it, I'm leaving. Follow no, they just left their stuff, followed Jesus. Eventually, they came back to the fishing boats. And Jesus had to go back and meet them there after his resurrection and be like, guys, what are you doing? Elisha, there is no plan B. There is no going back. Returning is not an option. The very thing he was using to make his livelihood is like, and to build a life for himself, it doesn't mean anything anymore. I've got a new mission. I've got a new task. I've got a new family in Elijah. So I'm going to say goodbye to my past, to my old family, to my old way of life, and I'm going to attach myself to this man, and he is going to be a father figure to me. and We're going to do this mission together. There is no going back. Eventually, we would see Elisha develop that kind of relationship with Elijah, that's, I've got to like pause for a moment, make sure I'm saying the right name. Uh, Because Elisha would say, uh, as Elijah is being taken up into the heavens through the chariot of fire, he calls out, my father, my father, the chariots of heaven. Elisha came to view Elijah as his new kind of spiritual father, not just a coworker, not just a, a mission partner, but as a family. And I think having Elisha was good for Elijah. Sometimes when we're feeling lonely, like I mentioned last week, we don't need help so much as we need to help others. Sometimes we need to step outside of what we need for ourselves and pour into the lives of others. And I think God realized that about Elijah. He says, you need someone that you can train up to take your place, to come after you to pass the torch down to the next generation. And I look around and I see a lot of folks who are ready and willing to pass the torch down to the next generation. You just got to find your Elisha. And that happens in our family. So what's God's solution to the loneliness epidemic? He gave us each other. God gave us each other. I mean, yes, David did an excellent job pointing out uh, during communion the, the unlikelihood, the improbability of God coming in this one specific person of Jesus. But also take a moment to think about the improbability of every single one of us being in this room, in this moment, right here, right now. So many things could have gone wrong, but they didn't, and we are here together. That is very unlikely. Uh, think about all the people in this town, in Mitchell, in Orleans, in Bedford, who are just staying home, isolating themselves, not being a part of a community like this. What do they need? They need people. We need each other. It's not good for us to be alone. So what does this have to do with the Christmas story? Well. Okay, so let's leave Elijah's story and go back to Jesus at his birth. Last week, I, I showed one of the pictures that I love, this, this painting of the Holy Family. And you've got Joseph looking there like, what do I do now? You've got Mary completely exhausted and passed out. And you got the baby Jesus with light emanating from him. And it's just this beautiful, serene, heart-wrenching scene. And I can imagine just how lonely it would be to be be in your own hometown. I mean, like, there's not even a place for me and my pregnant uh, fiance to go. But God brought people into their lives, right? God brought people into their lives. Even from the beginning, you have Mary, this pregnant teenage girl with scandal surrounding her, going down to visit her biological family in Elizabeth who's also pregnant in this bizarre instance, and she's elderly, and Mary's a teenager, and they both get together and just laugh about it. And, and they, they share their experiences together, and they dream of a future in which God is gonna act in big ways through their children. Mary was not alone. Um, on the night that they, uh, that, oh, sorry, Let's go back. Um, uh, Joseph didn't know what to do. He wasn't sure whether to kind of divorce and break things off with Mary or, or what to do next. Until so the angel came and said, "No, it's it's legit. Um, what Mary says is true. Believe her and, and stay faithful to her." And he did. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. He could have. He had every right to kick her out onto the streets. Her family might might or might not have taken her back in. But he was a righteous good man and stayed by her side no matter what to make sure that they at least had each other. And then of course you have the night of Jesus' birth. You got the angels appearing to the shepherds and the shepherds showing up. Nobody else showed up for them. Nobody else showed up for Mary and Joseph in their time of need, but these shepherds were there. I don't know how good they would have been to tending to any needs, but hey, at least they were there making sure they knew they weren't alone. Sometime after that, again you have these magi from the east that show up at the house where they're staying. It, debunking that common myth that wasn't actually at the nativity scene itself and while Jesus lying in the manger, the, they didn't show up there, but it was at a house sometime later. And they showed up bringing gifts. You're not alone. And not just are you not alone, but you are not alone on a global scale. There are people from hundreds of miles away that are invested in your story, that want to be a part of whatever's happening right here, right now in your family, which is awesome to think of. We're also told in the Gospel of Luke, as they take the baby Jesus into the temple to do all the rituals, the sacrifices, all this stuff with, with the little baby Jesus You got a guy named Simeon, who's one of the priests. He's really old, and he's been awaiting and longing for the Messiah to show up. And here he is, finally, the Messiah. God has promised, you won't die until you see the Messiah. And now he's like, okay, I can die peacefully now. This is it. This is God's rescue plan coming to fruition. And then you also have this elderly lady named Anna who was married early in life, but then her husband died and she remained a widow for the rest of her days, constantly in the temple praying, constantly serving the needs of others and comes up and has this intimate, amazing moment with Mary and the child. God brings people into their lives every step of the way to make sure that they know that they are not alone And that this is all an echo of what's eventually coming through the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. It just so happens that just this week I came across this article uh, published by Christianity Today. Uh, If you are in the, the app following along on the events, there's a link to it. It's a great article. I highly recommend reading the whole thing. But I wanted to share this snippet from it. Uh, the the article is entitled "Christmas Grafts Us Into God's non-traditional Family." I love that title by a woman named Hannah King, and she says this: She says Jesus did not come to abolish the family, but he did come to expand it. He came so that we could share in his sonship and sit at his family table. We he came to turn strangers into siblings and childless men and women into spiritual fathers and mothers. This doesn't erase the ache of family estrangement, bereavement, or unwanted singleness, but it does reframe that ache. And it should reframe the way all Christian households understand the ministry of their common life. The ministry of their common life. You might look and think, well, I'm nothing special. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Because as we're going to look at next week, that God is with us in the ordinary. God is with us in the everyday, day in, day out, ordinariness of life. Because sometimes we just need a simple, ordinary Christmas to take some of the pressure off. You may look back and think, well, my life is just common. It's nothing special. Yes, it is special because we have each other. Because you are placed here now in this family, in this community to make a difference, to be a father or a mother to someone in need. Whether you're going through, like she said, estrangement, bereavement, or unwanted singleness, there is a place for you at the table. As we take communion, we don't have a literal table that we gather around. Maybe we should do that Sometimes. We don't have a literal table that we gather around, but there is a spot reserved for every single person at that table. Whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're a widow, whether you have a ton of kids or no kids, whether, whatever your circumstance is going through, there is a place for you at God's table. He didn't come to abolish the family. He did come to expand The definition of family. Because he says things like this. He says things like this. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Right? I love this because this is in a scene uh, where his family shows up. His mother and brothers show up and like, hey, we got to like take this guy home. He's kind of stirring the pot a little bit, rocking the boat a little too much. He's kind of gone off his rocker. Whatever other kind of metaphor you want to use. Uh, so we got to, we, we, we should take him home, right? Get him out of the spotlight for a bit, maybe, yeah, whatever. So they say, hey, your, your mother and brothers are here. And he looks around, who is my mother and my, my brothers? Like, Jesus, are you okay? Did you forget something? Like, and then he, he answers his own question. He redefines family. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother if we're all working towards fulfilling the will of God in our lives, we are a family. We are God's family. He says this in John. We looked at this uh, several weeks ago. But he says, I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them in also, that they may listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. There are people that are part of our family that we don't even know about. There are people that are part of our family that are meeting in other buildings across this community right now. There are people that are part of our family that are meeting around the world in dire situations, in other situations that we don't even, can't even fathom. They're just as much our brother and sister as anybody in this room. We are one flock and we have one shepherd. We are a new family. There's a scene where he uh, has this conversation with a rich young man who has a lot of power, a lot of influence. And he says, in order to have eternal life, here's what you got to do. Sell all your possessions, give that money to the poor, and come follow me. And the guy walked away. and To which Jesus says, it's so hard, nearly impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter replies, he says, like we've left, we've left everything to follow you, so what's in it for us? <laughs> Don't you kind of want to know that sometimes? What's in it for us? To which Jesus says, anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. I think he's talking about the realities of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God here on earth, the gathered community in which we don't just have one mother and father, we have dozens. We don't just have our own kids, we've got everyone's kids that we can help raise and pour into and influence. We don't just have a couple sets of grandparents, we've got dozens of grandparents who are there to love on us. He came to redefine what family can be. He even takes us to the cross as he's dying in agony and pain unimaginable on that cross he looks down and who's there his own mother grieving torn like just gut-wrenching scene of her at the foot of the cross as her oldest son is being taken from her brutally and he looks down and who else is there one of his closest apostles and he says to his mother woman here's your son And to that Apostle John, he says, here's your mother. Take care of each other. I'm not going to be there anymore. Take care of each other. He gave us each other to take care of one another, to be there for each other, to lift each other up. I haven't quoted from N.T. Wright very recently, so I had to throw in a quote from him. Uh, In his book, an excellent book called Simply Christian, In his chapter, talking about the church as the family of God, he says this, The church is the single, multi-ethnic family promised by the creator God to Abraham. It was brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus. It was energized by God's spirit and was called to bring transformative news of God's recurring justice to the whole creation. He goes on to say, the church is first and foremost a community, a collection of people who belong to one another because they belong to God, the God we know in and through Jesus. We belong to each other because we belong to God. We don't get to decide who's in the family and who's not. That's not our business. That's not our place. Our job, our task is to accept one another as God's community. Because we belong to God, we therefore belong To each other. Or another way of putting it, from one of my all-time favorite Disney movies, Stitch, the little alien in Lilo and Stitch says, this is my family. I'm not going to do the voice, don't worry. This is my family. I found it all on my own. It's little and broken, but still good. Yeah, still good. Family is messy, (laughs) y'all. Family is messy. We were just talking in the office today, or not today, but earlier this week, about the messiness of family. And how, like, what is a, quote, normal family? Can you tell me what a normal family is? I mean, if you still think of family and you think back to the Cleavers and leave it to Beaver, right? (laughs) If that's your idea of a family, Maybe look around a little bit. That doesn't really exist too much anymore. What is normal? What is a normal family? Family is messy. Family takes work. Family is never going to go the way you think it's supposed to. But that's kind of the point. We have each other, and none of us is perfect. So we're all going to have to put up with each other. We're all going to have to tolerate each other. We're all going to have to be there for each other. All right, I'm gonna, I might step on some toes with this one, all right? But we're almost done, okay? How many of you have heard of the poem, Footprints in the Sand, right? Super common, popular poem. I see it make its round through, you know, Facebook and social media every so often. Um, so I'm going to explain why I don't like that poem, <laughs> Okay? If you're not familiar with it, the poem goes, uh, I had this dream, they were walking along a the beach, there were two sets of footprints, but then there were times where there was only one set and it was like the harder times through the rocky paths and the hard terrain and everything. he's like, Jesus, why did you leave me? He's like, no, that's when I was carrying you. Okay, cool. Here's why I don't like that poem. And I wrote this back in March, okay? Um, this past March uh, with the, Organization I work with between the crowd Uh, on spring break. We take a group of teenagers down to St. Augustine, Florida and Here's what I wrote The poem footprints in the sand has always bothered me and I think I just figured out why Last week when I was in St. Augustine with some high schoolers from between the crowd I took a couple mornings to have a long run along the beach The second day I did it, I even saw dolphins cresting and diving about 30 yards from shore. It was gorgeous. The storm clouds from the day before were drifting off into the eastern horizon as the first sunbeams broke through. The sand was still damp and fairly compact, great for running and great for leaving lots of footprints. I could tell from the prints that other runners had already been this way. Some people had taken a leisurely barefoot stroll. Lots of dogs had taken their owners for walks. I looked around and couples held hands. Friends took pictures. Bicyclists hadn't hit anybody as far as I could tell. And that's when it occurred to me. I don't like the footprints in the sand poem because there are always more than two sets of footprints. The Christian life isn't just about a relationship between you and Jesus. It isn't just a one-on-one thing. It's not just personal, it's communal. There are footprints everywhere in the sand. The prints of my friends and family members, prints of fellow church members, mentors, teachers, and pastors. Some footprints are always beside me, like my wife and kids. Some prints are here for a while and then fade off. We're all on this beach together, walking with each other and with Jesus. Jesus never sent his disciples out alone. He never even took them out one-on-one. He knew he would leave them and then they would have to rely on each other and the community of believers. Christianity is not a solo mission. It's a family. It's a crowded beach on a gorgeous morning with footprints everywhere reminding you that you're not alone no matter what. There's always more than two sets of footprints. It's never just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and all of us together. And this is what it all comes down to. If you're filling in the blanks, these next two verses, it's the same word for every blank because I wanted you to have to write it over and over again to get the point. Check this out, John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus, right before he leaves, has some critically important messages to give his disciples and he says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, You are also to love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People are going to look around at us and, yeah, maybe they'll see the crazy sweaters. Maybe they'll see the bumper stickers on your car. Maybe they'll notice that you always listen to Christian music. Maybe you have a little cross hanging up in your office somewhere. That's beside the point, that is not how people are supposed to know we are his disciples. They're supposed to know his, we're his disciples by the way we love each other, by the way we have each other's backs, by the way we are willing, just as Jesus did right before he said this, by the way we're willing to stoop down and wash each other's feet, sometimes literally, I hope not gross, but metaphorically, by the way we serve each other, by the way we lay down our own lives and wants and privileges for the sake of other people, because we're family, and finally, this is one of my favorite passages when it talks about love. First John 4, 10 through 12, especially there in verse 12. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, now let's pause, if God loved us in this way, Typically, if you hadn't heard this before, you would think he would go on to say, if God loved us this way, we should also love God in return. And yes, absolutely. What are the greatest commands? Well, first and foremost, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If God loved us in this way going on, we must also love Love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. We've never seen God. I've never seen God. Have you? Probably not. I mean, Moses got to see God's back somehow. Elijah, on that same mountain, Mount Sinai, got to see Uh, God's power on display. The three apostles, Peter, James, and John, got to see Jesus transfigured in front of them and God kind of in a cloud around them. But no one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, if we really put this into practice, what we've been talking about today, how we are family, God is with us. God remains in us and his love is Is made complete in us. So I don't know where you are this Christmas season. (laughs) Like I said, maybe things are hard. Maybe everything's going great. Maybe you just suddenly had somebody come down with COVID in your family. I don't know. But we have each other. Let's never forget that. I'm going to invite the worship team back up as we get ready to dismiss. We will have the prayer room open today. So if you need prayers of any kind, we as a family are willing to pray for you, to hear those prayer requests. If you want to join this family, to join the fellowship of believers, maybe you've never taken that step of of baptism, just like we had a couple weeks ago, which was awesome. I mean, there's no better time than the present. You can talk to one of us, talk to me, talk to one of the, the elders, and we can make that happen. We want you to join our family. If you have family members or friends that aren't a part of this community, invite them in. Say, hey, come check out this. Stop being so lonely and isolated. Let's get plugged in to this community that's going to love you, that's going to welcome you, that's going to bring you right in and show you what love is supposed to be. And that's a challenge for each of us then to actually put that into practice, to show each other what God's love is like. If you're able and willing, let's stand together, and we're going to sing And then I'll dismiss us with a word of prayer.